Well, I remember uh, back when I was in high school and nearing my graduation, it was a bittersweet feeling. Uh, for me, it was probably more sweet uh, than a lot of my uh, classmates, uh, but it was also bitter in some regards as well. For years, I was waiting for the day to be done with school, and then as it was nearing graduation, it was starting to, to get a bit, a bit sad as well on top of the excitement. So it was really a bittersweet feeling. Does, can anybody relate with me in that bittersweet feeling of nearing graduation, and you're excited for the next chapter in your life, uh, but it's also uh, oftentimes a bit sad to, to leave uh, that old chapter. Um, and, and that can be sad with, with just about any uh, ending of a chapter in our life. Uh, there's reasons for us to be excited moving on to a new chapter in our life, and there's also reasons uh, for us to be sad about leaving the old chapter of our lives. And that's how uh, I, I have similar feelings in, into our series on the book of Romans as well. Uh, this is only uh, the second time that we've uh, taken a book of the Bible and went through it uh, verse by verse, reading every single verse uh, of that book. Historically, uh, we've done more uh, topical uh, series, uh, which just means we would take a certain topic in the Bible, like love, grace, mercy, uh, whatever the case may be, and we look at what all 66 books of the Bible have to say about that love, grace, or mercy. Um, that's what we've uh, typically done in uh, the past. Uh, I'm terrified uh, to, this, to ask this. My knees are shaking, uh, but does anybody uh, remember uh, what our other book of the Bible we went verse by verse with? I knew I was terrified to ask this, and I knew I shouldn't have done it. Uh, Ephesians. Uh, yeah, there we go. Ephesians. Uh, we went through uh, last year uh, going through uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's a shorter book, uh, six chapters. Uh, Romans is one of the longest books of the New Testament. It's taken us quite some time uh, to get through uh, this book as it's 16 chapters. We started on uh, January 15th, uh, so a little over half of a year ago. We, we took a couple uh, breaks in, in between uh, this series. Um, and so today, uh, any guesses on uh, what number uh, this is in the series? What message number? Any guesses? 25, that, that 20, 25, uh, you split the difference and you get right there, uh, 23. Uh, this is our uh, 23rd message uh, going through uh, the book of Romans, and we have two more after this. Uh, we'll have a 24th and we'll have a 25th. So, so just barely shy uh, of a year, uh, half of nearly, sh just shy of half the Sundays throughout a whole year where we're talking about this book of Romans. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. There is so much valuable information uh, in in uh, this book alone. And so I'm going to be uh, sad uh, leaving the book of Romans uh, as it has been uh, uh, an awesome experience for me and just going uh, verse by verse with you all in a rather lengthy uh, book. But it's also exciting uh, that uh, we soon will be uh, speaking on some new topics uh, because there isn't just one book of the Bible. There's actually 66 uh, books of the Bible. Uh, and we'll be able to explore uh, some of those uh, other books in the near future as well. Well. Um, and so I have the, those similar, when I think of graduation, those bittersweet feelings, I'm having those same sort of feelings as we're closing the chapter on uh, the series of Romans, but that also means we, we get to talk about uh, some new fun adventures found in God's word as well. 
And so today, as we near the conclusion of our series, we're going to be covering uh, the first 21 verses of chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15. If not, uh, the words will be projected behind me. And so we're, we're going through the, uh, the first uh, 21 verses of chapter 15. Next week, we're going to finish chapter 15, and we're going to start chapter 16. And then in two weeks, uh, we're going to finish chapter 16 and do a wrap-up of the book of Romans. And so to remind, remind ourselves, Paul, he wants to go preach the gospel message to this church at Rome. In the meantime, though, instead of going in person to preach this gospel message, he's going to write a letter presenting this gospel message, this good news that he wanted to share so desperately with this church at Rome. And that's what we read here in this letter, this book of Romans, is Paul's presentation of this message that he wanted to go and preach uh, to the people in the city of Rome. And so I kind of break this uh, letter up, uh, letter of Romans, into three different sections. The first section, the first couple chapters, all about our sin and our need uh, for a savior. Second section, uh, the most lengthy section of the book, Paul looks at all different angles of God's plan of salvation for us, that plan of salvation that centers around Christ Jesus. And then we've been uh, spending the past uh, few weeks looking at the third section of the letter, which is how to live a Christian life, the, the practical application of what it looks like to live a life of faith. As Paul talked about in that second section, uh, God's plan of salvation for us, uh, he talks about uh, that that we are saved uh, by uh, God's grace uh, through our faith. It's through our faith that we accept God's free gift of salvation. And so what does it look like? What does that look like? What does it look like to live a life of faith? Because that's a pretty broad uh, description there. Live a life of faith and, and you will be saved. But what does that look like? Starting in chapter 12, Paul has taken us on this journey uh, of some of the details of what that looks like. In, in this section, uh, Paul talked about presenting our bodies as, as worship to God. Uh, that, that is how we uh, can worship our God. He talked about being transformed by the renewal of our mind. Uh, very similar to our uh, study that we did Wednesday evening, winning the war in your mind. Talked about uh, some of the rapid fire of, of Christian attributes. Talked about submitting to uh, your authorities, loving your neighbor. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, not quarreling over uh, opinions. I had to be uh, rather bold and straightforward uh, with you all. It's not Christ-like uh, to quarrel over opinions, uh, whether in the church or outside of the church. And we also took, la- took a look at not causing others to stumble. And so I find it interesting in this uh, third section of this letter, Paul spends a lot of his time in this practical application of how we live a Christian life. He spends a lot of time dealing with how we interact with others, how you interact with your neighbor, how you interact uh, with with the people sitting uh, next to you uh, within God's church. As much uh, uh, of what Christian, uh, of what being a Christian looks like is how we truly do interact with those around us. Uh, A Christian is to interact uh, with those uh, around them drastically different than someone who is living by the sinful desires of their flesh. In general, Christians should be, should be pleasant uh, to spend time with. Christians should be loving to, to those around them. They should be submissive. They should not be argumentative. They uh, should be displaying a good teamwork. These are all marks of a Christian. These are signs that someone truly is a Christian. And so when, when someone is not loving to those around them, they're not submissive, they get in arguments, they don't know how to work as a team, these are all outward symbols 
of what is going on in their heart. They are outward symbols of what sort of spiritual maturity they have. They're outward symbols of what sort of relationship they have with God. And they're outward symbols of how the spirit is or the lack of how the spirit is working in their life. And so after all of this talk about how we interact with others in this section about practical application, Paul actually continues right along uh, these same lines. He, he continues uh, to talk about how we interact with others. Uh, today, we, we're going to see another layer of how we interact with others as Christians, as fellow members of the church. And so Paul writes uh, in chapter 15 of Romans, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Uh, So essentially, uh, Paul is saying that if you can bench press 200 pounds or more, uh, you have to bear uh, with those of us uh, who cannot bench press uh, over 200 pounds. Wait a minute, we're laughing uh, because that, that is not uh, what Paul is referring to. He's not referring uh, to a physical strength here. Uh, Paul is continuing along the lines of chapter 14. In chapter 14, we talked about last week and the week before, or just last week, uh, Paul was, was talking about those who were weak in their faith didn't understand the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. As Paul alluded uh, to a number of Christians during Paul's time who were still attempting to fulfill the law of Moses to a T. But Paul indicates that through uh, Jesus Christ, we have freedom uh, from this. We've been actually called to a higher standard. Where once in this law of Moses, once it was uh, sinful to sleep uh, with another person who was not your spouse. And now Paul says, or now Christ Jesus says, That it's sinful just to lust after someone who is not uh, your spouse. And so we're we're, we're taken to a higher standard in this new covenant that's introduced with Christ Jesus. But with this higher calling uh, that that comes along with Jesus, there's also certain freedoms uh, that come along with it. Like like not having certain foods be deemed unclean. Although personally, uh, I'll probably speak for a majority of you guys in this room as well. Uh, we probably wouldn't, we'd be perfectly satisfied if Brussels sprouts were deemed unclean. Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so we, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but, but Brussels sprouts, they, they, they are unclean. Uh, anybody uh, can eat them. Uh, if, if you despise yourself, you can eat them. Uh, uh, but with this uh, chapter break in between uh, chapter 14 and chapter 15, I feel like a lot of people lose on the meaning and the context of what Paul is signifying when he says someone is strong or weak. Someone who is strong in their faith, they understand the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Someone who is weak in their faith, they don't quite understand the freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says that we who are strong in our faith, we who understand the freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus... We need to bear with the shortcomings of those who are weak in their faith. We, we need to bear with the people who don't understand the, the freedoms that we have and being a Christian and being a Christ follower. We, we need to bear with them, bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We're not to seek to please ourselves, but we are to seek to please our neighbors for their good. 
I think that's one of the shortcomings of living in America. Uh, we're trained and pushed to do what pleases us, what makes us happy. I mean, I mean that, that essentially is the American dream. It's all about having the opportunity to do what you want. Not, not what, what the people around you want, but, but it's all focused on yourself. And we need to quit focusing on me, me, me. Quit, quit focusing on what you want. Rather, our focus, first and foremost, should be on God. And then after God, we need to put our focus on those around us as well. We're to consider the others around us before we consider what we want. As people are much more likely to be won over to a, to a fuller faith, they're much more likely to be built up if we surround them with love and care rather than bombarding them uh, with these certain criticisms because they are weak in their faith. And so we need the, those of us who are strong in our faith, we need to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please uh, ourselves. Instead, we should seek to please our neighbors. Well, there, there was someone uh, written in the scriptures who was superb at pleasing uh, those around him, and, and that's uh, Christ Jesus. And Paul talks about this in, in verse 3. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but, that, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so Christ is the ultimate example of someone who, who did not despise himself. And to help illustrate this, Paul quotes uh, Psalm 69, uh, verse 9, uh, to make his point of Christ not seeking to please himself. As Psalm 69, 9 reads, the reproaches of those who reproach you uh, fall on me. Reproaches is when uh, someone expresses uh, disapproval or dissatisfaction in something that you do or, or who you are as a person. Uh, other translations here uh, will read insults or, or taunts. So essentially, people would insult God. They, they would direct their, their insults at God. They're, they're trying to get back at God. Maybe they're unhappy uh, that uh, God let a loved one of theirs uh, fall asleep in death. Maybe they're, they're upset why God would allow evil. And so they're hurling insults at God. And here, Paul is saying that while they are, uh, while they are throwing the reproaches at, at God, they fell on Christ Jesus. The reproaches of those uh, who reproached you, referring to God, fell on me, Christ Jesus. So when someone sought to insult God, they, they were insulting Christ Jesus. As Christ Jesus, he was the son of God. He was a servant of God. Now, the interesting uh, thing about uh, this quote, uh, this was original uh, Psalm 69 was not about Jesus at all. It was actually about King David. Uh, David said that when people insulted God, the, the, those insults would fall on him. As David was described as a man after God's own heart, David eventually uh, became the king of Israel, the, the king of God's chosen people. And so David, not seeking to please himself, seeking to please those around him, certainly seeking to please God. In doing this, people would insult him. People would taunt him. They would jeer at him just because he was associated with God. And so this original psalm about King David, later being quoted to talk about Christ Jesus, that's a practice called midrash. Midrash was a first century Jewish hermeneutic or interpretation approach where the author 
would take a writing from the Old Testament and use that passage to talk about a different person or a different event than what was originally intended. So Psalm 69.9, originally about King David receiving insults uh, due to his relationship with God. And now Paul takes that same passage from the Old Testament and he kind of reinterprets it and says that, well, now Christ fills those shoes as well. Where where now the, the reproach of God falls on Jesus himself as well. And so we see that this holds true with both God and, or with both Jesus and David. They have a close-knit relationship with God and due to this relationship, due, the, due to this association, these insults that, that were thrown at God, they fall onto David and Jesus as well. And you can be assured that, that if you have a close, intimate relationship with God, you have an association with God, The reproach of God will fall on you. People who are hurling insults at God will will then fall on you as well. That's part of the price that we pay. That that, that is part of bearing our cross, bearing uh, the the not-so-fun things uh, of being a Christian. Being a Christian in general is awesome and and fun today and tomorrow and the rest of the days of our life. Uh, But but sometimes there are uh, side effects that that come along with with being a Christian, and this is one of them. Good news for us is that we can receive endurance and we can receive encouragement through the scriptures. That's what Paul is talking about there in in verse four. We we can be uh, encouraged in the midst uh, of these insults, in the midst of these taunts. We could be encouraged by what God has provided for us through his scriptures. And through this endurance, through this encouragement that can lead to hope, Hope in a world where where hope is vastly missing. And so Paul continues uh, in verses 5 and 6, and Paul writes, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is still dealing within uh, the confines of the church. Uh, that's what he signifies when he writes one another. As again, this letter was originally written by Paul to the church, to, to the church at Rome. And so when Paul says that we are to live in such harmony with one another, he, he is talking about the church, that, that members of the church need to live in harmony with one another. Uh, This is uh, this concept, this phrase, one another, uh, is used uh, constantly, frequently throughout Paul's uh, letters, uh, written throughout uh, the rest of the New Testament as well. We we are to be good to everyone. We we, we are to to consider the needs and the desires of our neighbors around us. Uh, Paul actually says uh, in Galatians 6.10, what what might catch some of you by surprise, is that we are to be especially good to the household of faith. And so we need to be especially good in our dealings with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we are to live in harmony. And why? why? Why live in harmony? Why go through the effort? Because certainly it takes effort. Why go through the effort of living in harmony with one another? What's the big deal? Paul's been talking about this time and time again in this last section of this letter and our dealings with one another. Why? Well, Paul Paul answers that question in verse 6. That or so that together 
you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why are we to live in harmony with one another? Well, so that together, we as the church, with one voice, we can give glory to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glory of God is at stake. These are high consequences. The, the, the price could not be higher. God receiving his glory. That's why it is so important that we live in harmony with one another. I think it's also uh, worth pointing out here uh, that Paul calls God the God and Father of Jesus. Hold up. Jesus has a God. Uh, There's someone who has authority over Jesus. Absolutely. That that person is Yahweh, uh, uh, the Lord God, who is God of both us and God of Jesus as well, Uh, which would uh, probably catch uh, some by surprise uh, in the wider uh, Christian circles, that, that Jesus has a God as well, the same God that you and I serve and worship. And so then uh, we we continue along here, uh, a a little bit of a larger chunk, verses 7 through 13, Paul writes, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, uh, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So let's uh, dissect that here a bit. In verse 7, Paul stated that we are to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. And Paul, Paul tells us that, that Christ has welcomed both the circumcised and the Gentiles. The circumcised is just another way to refer to the Jews. And, and so Christ, essentially, he is all-inclusive. He, he welcomes in everybody. He welcomes in the Jews, and he welcomes in the Gentiles. And, and we are to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed all. Christ is very much inclusive. We, we are to be inclusive. And so Paul says that through Christ— the Jews were able to see God's truthfulness as Jesus was the fulfillment of these different promises that God gave to the Israelites. So if you were to read uh, through the Old Testament, uh, you would see that God has given these Israelites a number of different promises, uh, also called covenants, where if you do this, then I will bless you in this regard. And Jesus, through Jesus, the Jews can see God's truthfulness. Well, how can that be the case? Well, that's because Jesus is a fulfillment of many of these different promises that that, that God has established with the Israelites. Jesus fulfilled a chunk of them with with, uh, his uh, first coming, and he's going to uh, fulfill uh, a large chunk in his second coming as well, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And so it's through Christ where the Jews are able to see God's truthfulness as Jesus' fulfillment of these different promises. 
And then through Christ, the Gentiles as well were brought into this concept of God's mercy, where all we need to do to, to accept God's free gift of grace, his free gift of salvation, is to put our faith in him and his son, Christ Jesus. That's all we need to do. Jesus opens that up to everybody who believes. And so Jesus, welcoming of the Jews and certainly welcoming of the Gentiles as well. And Paul then uh, quotes four different passages to prove that, that this is true, that Jesus uh, confirmed the promises to the Jews and that Jesus brought the Gentiles into God's mercy. That's what we, we read there in verses 9 through 12, those four different uh, passages where, as it is written, and again it is said, and again and again, Isaiah says. These four quotes are from 2 Samuel 22.50, Deuteronomy 32.43, Psalm 117, 1, and Isaiah 11, 10. And an interesting side note, if you go back and read these different passages, you'll notice that Paul's quotes are slightly different uh, from what we would read uh, in going back in the Old Testament that we read today. It's because Paul is quoting uh, from something called the Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint uh, was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew with uh, just a tiny bit of Aramaic uh, thrown in there as well. Uh, but there were a number of scholars uh, who translated uh, the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek. As Paul, he was a Greek-speaking man, and he was writing uh, to a Greek-speaking audience. And so, of course, it makes sense uh, that, that Paul uh, would use uh, the Septuagint there. Uh, the, the same uh, holds true for us and, and why uh, we don't read some of the original manuscripts uh, because uh, I don't know about you, but I don't uh, speak Hebrew. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I know close to, to very little uh, in Greek as well. Um, and so probably wouldn't uh, be very, wouldn't serve much of a purpose if we were reading through uh, these uh, different uh, languages. Um, and so we read an English translation of what was originally written. This is uh, done consistently uh, throughout the New Testament, or they'd use the Greek version of the Old Testament. But in these uh, four different passages uh, that Paul quotes, what you will find is that there are ancient assurances that the Gentiles will be received into the faith. And so essentially, Paul is stating that this is no original idea by him. He is not the first person to, to come and say that all people will be included into God's plan of salvation. We, we see that littered throughout the Old Testament long before uh, Paul was a twinkle in his mother's eyes. Uh, we, we, we see these reports, the, these writings, the assurances that you and I, we would be included in, in this plan of salvation as well. And so because of that, through Christ Jesus, He's welcoming to all. And Paul says that, that we need to mimic that. We need to mirror that. We need to welcome one another as, just like Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So Paul says in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul here uh, in writing uh, to this church at Rome, he says that he is satisfied with his brethren over in the city of Romans. And we have to remember Paul has never stepped foot uh, in the city of Rome. Paul ha hasn't uh, interacted in person uh, with, with the physical location of the church at Rome. And so his information uh, of this Roman church would have come from word of mouth, where one person says one thing about this church and another person says another thing. And eventually this news, this report uh, gets handed down to Paul as well. And we have to be careful about that because the same applies to us today. News truly does spread through word of mouth. And so you, I, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, what sort of news uh, about yourself is spreading to others? Well, here, the, the, this church at Rome, the news that, that was reported to Paul by word of mouth, Paul was satisfied with it. He was satisfied with his brothers and sisters over at the church at Rome. Why? Well, because Paul heard that they were filled with goodness and they were filled with knowledge. They were good in their dealings with one another, and they were filled with knowledge of the scriptures. What a good report. We should strive for the same, to be described as people who are full of goodness and full of knowledge. And then here in verse 15, we see the first glimpses that Paul is about to wrap up his letter as he reflects back on what he wrote previously in his letter. He says, but on some points I have written to you very boldly. And so even though Paul is satisfied with the church at Rome, he had to be bold and rather brash in some of these points that he wrote to them previously. He didn't beat around the bush when talking about sin and how we all have sin in our lives. He didn't beat around the bush when talking about how they are to deal with one another. He was rather bold with them to be a minister of Christ Jesus. All of this said, everything that, that Paul wrote to this church at Rome, including the bold things, the, the things that just punch you right in the mouth, it was all to be a minister of Christ Jesus. That was his motivation. It was all done for his love for God and Christ Jesus. And so you too, you, you can be bold and you can be straightforward with people and it can be an expression of your love. And so finally, closing out uh, the section of scripture that we'll read this morning, Paul writes in verse 17, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, uh, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. And so Paul says here that he is proud of the work that he has done. And he can be proud of the work that he has done for all the work that Paul has done, Christ accomplished through him. It was only through Christ that Paul's work of bringing the Gentiles into the faith would be successful. And so Paul had very good reason. I don't think it's boastful. I don't think it's prideful act here by Paul by being proud of his work because all of his work 
was accomplished through Christ. Paul was just the messenger. Paul was just the instrument in which God and Christ were working in the lives of the people. And so because of this, Paul was proud. He was proud of the work that he had done for for the expansion of God's coming kingdom. And so Paul, he had an intense ambition to preach the gospel to places that have not yet heard the gospel message. Because of this, I have mad respect for Paul. After his conversion, his entire life seemed revolved around spreading this gospel message. He went on multiple uh, missionary journeys, long journeys. He wrote a number uh, of different letters to, to, to different groups of believers, like the church at Rome here. He was eventually, uh, tradition uh, tells us that that Paul was eventually martyred for his belief in God. And so Paul paid the price. His entire life revolved around spreading this gospel message to people who have not yet heard this message. I kind of get the sense that that Paul wasn't really into uh, much of any extracurricular activities after his conversion. It was all about the advancement of the gospel message because he was so ambitious and so passionate about what God and about what Christ has shared with him. And he wanted to share that with everybody that he could. He probably put many of us to shame, myself included, by comparing what we fill our schedule with compared to what he filled his schedule with. I think today, too often, myself included, we fill our schedules uh, with sports, TV, with games, with band, with social hangouts, with nights at the movies or the restaurants. Not that any of these things are bad, but we fill our schedule with these things so much that sometimes we just give God the scraps, if any time at all. And when we resort to giving God the scraps of our time, You cannot expect him to do much in and through your life. You will not see God at work if you just give him the scraps of your time. Too many people treat God like an extracurricular activity, like something that we engage in on top of all of these other things that we do on top of our job, on top uh, of spending time with our family, on top of spending time with friends, on on top of sports, TV, games, movies, you name it. God is not an extracurricular activity. He's not something that, that we engage in on top of all these other things. All these other things, these are the extracurricular activities in our life. God must come first in our life. And if he is first in our life, I think we're going to have a similar story to Paul, where Paul had an abundance of success in spreading the gospel message. God wants people to hear this gospel message, and God is going to use people who put him first and foremost. And so if you want to be a servant of God, you want to be someone who can be proud in your work. Does anybody else want to be proud in their work? If you want to be proud in your work in the advancement of God's gospel message, then you've got to have the same passion and the same ambition 
that Paul had for God, had for Christ Jesus, and had for uh, sharing this gospel message with all around him. And so don't treat God like an extracurricular activity, but let's see the passion. Let's see the ambition. I think we're missing that in the church of the 21st century, especially here in, in America where, where, where life is easy for us. With all of the, the things, the, the material things that we have been blessed with, sometimes that takes our eyes off of God. I'm here to say that cannot be the case. We cannot take our eyes off of God. So there we have uh, the first 21 uh, verses of uh, chapter 15 here. Uh, Paul touches on a couple of different topics. Number one, we are to live in harmony with one another. We need to be at peace with one another. We need, we need to make peace with one another. Why? Why is it important? Well, it's to show, it's to give God the glory that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need to live in harmony. Second, we, we see that, that Christ came to show God's truthfulness to the Jews, and Christ came to bring the Gentiles in on God's mercy. Christ was welcoming of all, and we need to mirror that. We need to mirror uh, Christ's welcoming stance uh, to all of humanity. And then finally, I think we see here Paul's passion for the gospel message, where Paul was proud of his work for God. And we need to mirror that passion that Paul had so that we too could be proud of the work that we've done for God in the advancement of his gospel-saving message. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. Father, we thank you for this gospel-saving message that you've shared with us all. Father, I pray that we don't take lightly the responsibility, the necessity to share this message with those around us. Father, I just pray that you fill us with your passion, fill us with the ambition to spread this gospel message, and that we too can be proud of the work that you have done through us. So Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.